This is your host, Erin from Stepping Blocks, and welcome back to Day to You. More people than ever are questioning the value of higher education. We're here to explore why they're right, why they're wrong, and which institutions are rising to the challenge. In season one, we're investigating the new normal created by the COVID-19 pandemic and the ongoing challenges in higher education. So, Carlo, can you talk a little bit about why we're here today? Well, we're here today uh, with Dr. Monique Snowden. I am super excited. Thank you so much for joining us today. We want to talk about student success. Uh, when you got to what the new initiatives that are happening at the University of Colorado Denver. Uh, but first of all, I'm super excited to, to meet you, Dr. Snowden. Thank you so much for, for accepting our invitation to talk to, to talk to us. Dr. Snowden is a recognized, nationally recognized leader in education, recently named the senior vice chancellor uh, for strategic enrollment and student success at the University of Colorado Denver. Uh, super exciting things happening there, recently recognized as a um, Hispanic Civic Institution. Uh, so a lot of things that I want to learn about, but thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Snowden. Thank you for having me, Carla. I appreciate it. Let's uh, let's jump into a conversation let's, here about students. Let's jump in. Well, let's jump into. Let's jump into the why. I think I always want to know why are you here? What drove you uh, to be passionate? What drove your passion to go into a student success? My my passion for student success probably is grounded in having been a first generation college student and one. We started at a trans, as a transfer student, although I was admitted into Texas A&M University as a, a first-time freshman, I decided to actually um, go to a community college instead and then went there, was successful. And so um, my passion really for students really comes from the fact that it has been the difference in my life relative to mobility. And, and that's what I try to do in my career is try to help students find the right path for them. And there's so many different paths. Um, hopefully, um, that pathway brings them through an institution I'm at. Sometimes it doesn't, though. Well, it, and it, it the, and the student success is it's interesting because it really is not a new thing, right? But it is a new thing in a way. It means different things for different people. Uh, recently, Georgia State started the National Institute for Student Success, and you see more and more institutions starting these initiatives. Uh, what does it mean? What does a student success mean uh, uh, at the University of Colorado Denver? Well, you know, I have to invoke a colleague of mine. Um, unfortunately, we lost him a couple of years ago, Bob Bontranger, who was at the um, ACRO. He was the um, the executive director of consulting there, and he was at um, Oregon for a number of years. Back in 2007, Bob started writing about um, student success in the context of enrollment management. And I think that that's um, where we're at today, is that a lot of institutions, as they think about student success, it's intrinsically tied to their enrollment management strategies. And that's the case here at CU Denver, as well as I think that's the case for, for Tim and them as they did their wonderful work at Georgia State University. So, so if I could tie in something here, you know, in, in, um, in the vision of becoming a, an equity serving institution, a university for life, right? It's not just, it's, it's enrollment during the school years and then what happens after, right? So what, what happens after graduation? So what is that? How is that tied? How do you tie the student for life vision for student success? Is how do you tie what happens after graduation into your initiative? When we think about that for student success, what we're saying for university advice is that a lot of times we think about student being a student just as at one level, right? Even when we talk about first generation college students, we really only talk about first generation when they're undergraduates. But the reality of it is, is that Many of them are first generation as they move on to graduate education, whether they're getting a master's or like myself, even a PhD. 
So when we talk about university for life, what we're doing is we're embracing this notion that students will drop, drop in, kind of continue to rotate in and out of institutions. And in the continuing education space, they talk about it as a 60 year or the 100 year curriculum. Here at CU Denver, we say that we wanna be here for you between the ages of 17 and 117. And what we mean by that is to say that we're working with students as they're in pre-collegiate, right? Before they even come to our institution, then we're working with them as an undergraduate students. And we wanna also be able to provide the types of learning that is necessary for us to be successful out in today's economy. And that isn't just simply a degree. For some students along the way, they're gonna to try to get a certificate, right? It's not an either or for students these days, it's an and in both. And I think that the University of Life embraces the fact that students are gonna pick different pathways than we've seen ever before. I'm amazed by all the majors, minor, mega majors, all the different options that we have, micro-credentials. And that's what really the University of Life is about. And it's centered around digital transformation as well. It's saying that we have to be ready for our students, whether they're in person, whether they're gonna be hybrid, whether they're gonna be fully online. And this notion of bifurcating our services for them, this is something that's gonna become outmoded here in higher education. We're gonna to have to really think about how do we bring all these things together and just say, okay, you're a student, what modality are you studying? What modality do you want your services in? So that that poses some of, some a lot of challenges, right? Because I think there's a, 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 there are a lot of changes that have, need to happen institutionally. You need the buy-in from a lot of different people. Um, you also have to be more transparent about the outcomes and what happens to, to people after they graduate and how they switch, right? Because you, like you said, you people might go into one career, then they switch. Um, so what have been some of the challenges that you've faced uh, or that you've seen or, or you foresee happening in the implementation of uh, student success programs? Well, I think, first of all, one of the challenges is that um, our capacity as institutions um, it got rocked during COVID, right? We really found out a lot about, um, first of all, what we didn't do, but even more importantly, what capacity we do have to do if we actually were put in a situation where we must do something different, right? So I think that coming post-COVID, what we start to understand is that our students are more complex, their lives are more complex than we actually sometimes are structured in our institutions to be able to address. And I think that this links into what we talk about being an equity serving institution. What we're saying about that is, is we need to basically look at all of our policies, practices, and procedures and see what are the barriers to students actually being successful. What we find out is that there are a lot of artificial barriers, artificial in the sense that they're real to the students, but actually you got practices that people call policies. And, you know, you have to really get underneath of that. And we have to be willing to go ahead and re-envision um, the university as it's worked before for the students that are coming to us today and particularly be prepared for the ones who are going to come to us in the future who are going to be even more diverse than the students we see in our populations today. Do you see, uh, as you talk about that, do you see um, kind of a big gap now with like first, like you said, first generation students and students that are more established with COVID and um, is there anything that has to be done especially to cover that gap uh, with people that maybe just got access to universities and now more people, some people having more, more access to information than others. Uh, what, what are you, some of the things that you think will need to be adjusted to 
to allocate for that? That's a good question because here at CU Denver, approximately 48% of our students are first generation um, students who come to us in undergraduate education. And what our data tells us is that actually our first generation students, particularly when they're when the intersectionality is with low income, actually show greater retention and graduation rates than those who are not in those groups. And I think it's the intersectionality that we have to pay close attention to, because it's not just simply that they're first gen, but if you look at first gen and you look at what's the difference between low income, higher income, right, you'll see some different outcomes. I think what we're learning about this is that we, we the nuances of how we look at students, we tended to look at students in just singular categories, right? We're looking at low income. Then over here, we're looking at first gen or we're looking at underrepresented minorities. And actually the sweet spot is in the intersectionality of that, really starting to understand sort of like who are these students and they're more, they're more multifaceted than a lot of times that our systems are set up to actually treat them. Do you, so on the, as, as you're developing the programs, do you work uh, with others? I know you, you mentioned, I know you were, or have worked with, with Tim in the past uh, with, the, with the NIST, but what are some of the other institutions that, um, that are out there that can help or some other organizations that are working with you in, um, in, in the effort of enhancing student success programs uh, at universities? Well, we're, you know, we're, we're fortunate here at CU Denver to be the only urban serving university in Colorado. So we work a lot with the Association of Public and Land Grant Universities, the entity that really works with urban serving universities. And it's through our work there that often we get um, perhaps these small, let's just say micro grants. The, it's not the, the granting or the, the, the money that's most uh, essential to us. It's the partnerships and the relationships and the learning that we get from the cohorts that we're in. For example, currently right now, we have a small micro grant to work with students who are 25 and older who are Latinx, Black, or Indigenous, right? It's an adult learner. Um, and one of the things we're looking at is what type of different types of advising models um, might an institution put in place that are more equity focused, right? We know that our advising um, is really fashioned off of long time research that's been done in student development area. Most recently, some colleagues wrote a book about square pegs and round holes, looking at basically diversity in um, student development theory, as well as in advising practices. So some of the institutions that we tend to partner with are, are fellow um, urban serving universities, Portland State University, Memphis, uh, University of Memphis is one of them, University of Houston, so a variety of institutions that are similarly situated. And when we say that, uh, what I really mean is that their population of students tend to be more diverse um, in those urban centers. So um, those are some of the institutions we partner with. But locally here, we actually um, work with the uh, Denver Education Attainment Network, um, you know, Dean, and they, uh, they work with us on uh, various matters of looking at pathways from the Denver public school system into our community college system, and then ultimately um, those who transfer into CU Denver. So, um, so on that, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you was um, the me measuring effectiveness of the programs, right? As you progress through the programs, 
um, you know, one of the things at least for us that's really important is the, the what happens after graduation, right? Did people are, are they are they getting getting jobs? Are they staying on track regardless of where they switch uh, careers? Where they end up going, and that's that's one measurement, right? Of of success, what happens after graduation? What are some of the metrics that you currently have in place, or or that you guys are tracking through your three partnerships that are saying, would you moving into in the right direction with your programs? You know that really that really um, calls into play our collaborations between institutional level student success entities, like what I run as a division, and then our colleges and schools. Because our colleges and schools actually are closer, they have their, let's just say they have a pink finger on the pulse of sort of where students are ultimately ending up and how they might funnel back through the institution. So there's a number of initiatives, particularly our business school, which um, actually just opened up um, its first, uh, let's say it's doing a first generation advising um, center now who are really hooked into um, not only simply local, the local um, you know, workforce, but also ones beyond um, beyond Denver and even Colorado. But one of the things as a public serving university here um, in the state of Colorado, we're proud that a lot of our alums stay here in the local area, which gives us an opportunity to have them continue to interface with us. We have an entity here at CU Denver called City Center, where we've actually located um, an entity within the city where we engage with local um, employers. And that's a place where we actually capture um, information about how students are doing beyond simply their, let's just say graduation here at, at CU Denver and as they are becoming alum of the institution. So, and, and, that, and actually what, what I wanted to start with is, you know, what, what I started with um, on, on the goal of, um, Becoming the an, an equity-serving institution, right? That's one of the was one of the big goals, and I wanted to spend a little more time on that. Um, so, what what is required for 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 you to get there? Because I don't, I don't, you know, if it's the first one, you know, how can somebody kind of are you planning to lead the path, and and what does that mean exactly? Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of folks ask us, what is an equity-serving institution? They're familiar with minority-serving institution, Hispanic-serving institution. What do we mean when we say an equity-serving institution? It is our first goal in our strategic plan. And we believe that basically is, it is foundational. If we don't do well there, then the rest of it doesn't happen. We talk about this tagline for our strategic plan is make education work for all. And that's what really being equity servant institution is all about. It means that we are being intentional and in calling ourselves to task about how we function as an institution, um, what policies we put in place, who benefits from those, and then who does that serve as a barrier to, right? It also means we're everything from our hiring, what student populations we're looking at, how do we spend our funds relative to the institution? So it really is a comprehensive, a more comprehensive way of saying that, yes, we are an HSI and so proud to be such. Um, but we also believe too, that the work that we can do through becoming an HSI institution helps lift up other things as well. We're, we're talking about everything, Carlos, from you know, not just simply race, we're talking about gender, gender identity, we're talking about ableness, we're talking about all the ways in which people feel as though they're not seen and they're not heard. And as an institution, we are taking pause to say that CU Denver, 
we need to look at how we can be something more comprehensive than simply reaching a designation. We don't just want to have a designation. We don't want to just be an an HSI. We want to basically say that we are supporting our students and we're supporting our faculty and our staff, and we're creating a university community that values and respects the whole of a person. Carlo, you mentioned a couple times, you know, you asked the question, what happens after graduation and how do you measure? But Dr. Snowden, you mentioned you want to serve your students before they even get to your institution. So what are the ways that CU Denver is doing that today? Well, we actually have a program called CU Succeed where um, we provide, uh, let's just, let's say, um, almost 6,000 students um, each year across the state or in high schools, um, the ability to be able to have dual enrollment. Um, and so our faculty, some of our faculty provide those courses, but also our education school actually provides um, teaching to those faculty within the school so that they can teach those courses. So one of the ways that we do that is partnering with, um, with those individuals out in the community and then creating sort of this pipeline of support for students, right? And one of the things I didn't mention, you know, we're on a tri-institutional campus here and co-located right here near CU Denver is the Community College of Denver. So that relationship between the Denver public school system to CCD to CU Denver and all of the work that happens with the, with the individuals in there is one way that you create sort of that um, let's just say that wrap around that wrap around support for students and they're already sort of getting you know acclimated to your institution before they ever get there. Yeah, that exposure is so important. I'm also curious, what types of interventions do you have in place, um, you know, to catch those early warning signs or those, you know, trigger warnings to help intervene so that you can help them succeed early on? You know, um, just like uh, Georgia State University, we are clients of um, Education Advisory Board and use their Navigate system. Um, so the technology, first of all, is really helpful where we have um, those early warnings, we get referrals and recommendations and then know how to respond to those things. I think that that really helps. I'm a supporter of predictive models, but I also believe that, and you may have seen this in some of my, some of the things I put out there, I also believe that there's a lot of bias that can be embedded into those models. And so I think you have to be very careful how you implement things like predictive modeling, the use of non-cognitive variables for students, whatever, because often you can do harm, more harm than you do good in that. And so we use those tools. Um, but I also think that at the, you know, at the core of it, you know, any analytical environment, the, the, the main ingredient is people. It's the intuition and the engagement. So those systems without good advisors, um, they, they'll help you get somewhat there. But at the end of the day, the students need to have that human contact with folks. So I think that we also have to think about as we move into digital environments, how do we continue to balance the need to have sort of that human insight um, to apply to what we see the system kicking out for us? Well, that's, those are some very powerful, powerful words, I'd say. And I think uh, that definitely will inspire other institutions to follow suit. I don't know if you all feel about Erin, but um, I'm super excited to see what happens next year, right? And I think that 
with everything that's happening. I don't I don't see I don't see how other people other institutions cannot adjust to this new wave, right? Because things have to change, and I think this is the way of the future. Uh, but definitely, really appreciate. Uh, I think you shared some really really interesting interesting things that are happening at CU Denver. Uh, super excited to keep learning more. So, you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch to measure the progress uh, and see how things are going. And, and thank you so much for, for, for joining us today and sharing all these great things that are happening at CU Denver. So, Carlos, if you don't mind, can I just make one closing comment? Because I would be remiss if I didn't mention this around student success. I think one of the most important things that we often forget is that the faculty-student relationship is is really important to an institution lifting up um, its students. And one of the things that I'm really proud about here at CU Denver is that um, through the Association of College and University Educators, we've been able to um, help our faculty with their teaching practices and actually increase the percentage of students who pass um, some classes that are very difficult by up to seven to 10%. So that's really important is the faculty work out there. I always like to do a shout out to the faculty because uh, without them, our students would not be able to succeed in the ways that they have been doing. So thank you so much. Absolutely.